Hello everyone, and welcome to Plot Mechanics episode 35. My name is Ed, and this week we will be reviewing the 2021 horror film Candyman, starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Teona Paris, Vanessa Williams, and Tony Todd. The film was co-written by Jordan Peele and directed by Nia DaCosta. As always, we will be discussing elements of the plot and story structure, so this episode will contain spoilers. If you haven't yet seen the film, we recommend you do so before listening to this episode. However, if you have seen the film, then sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. And we're all five six times. <laughs> I gotta I got sacrifice I gotta sacrifice one of them for the intro to say what's what's up, people. Uh how are you all doing a podcast, Dan? Hope all is good and well, and you are enjoying your start to the week as it is Monday. And uh once again, you are listening to Plot Mechanics. It's your boy Leon. I am joined by my good friends. I'm Ed. Medill. And I'm Matsi. And this week, we are talking about the 2021 supernatural slasher film, A Candyman. And that's once. But I'm not looking in the mirror. That's once. The 2021 version. The 2021 version of Candyman, directed by Nia DaCosta, written by Jordan Peele, Wynn Wynn Rosenfeld, uh, starring Yaha Abdul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mateen the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abdul yeah. Mateen. Names. Sorry. That one names. Nathan Stewart, Tona Paris, such and so forth. Great movie. Either way, let's go. First opinions before we get into the whole plot of this movie. Uh, what are we? What are we saying, guys? Let's let's go. Let's go reverse alphabetical. Okay. Um, I really liked it. I loved it actually. Um, I haven't watched the first one. I know what happens in the first one more or less. And I kind of do want to watch it for Halloween, especially because now I'm like kind of interested to kind of go back and look at it. And I just really like this film. I think there was actually surprisingly one moment that I will explain later that actually made me cry in the theater, which is interesting for a horror film where I don't think, yeah, you wouldn't consider most of it a tearjerker, but yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I, if I had to like really comb, you know, comb through it with a fine tooth comb, I'm sure I could find flaws. But overall, like uh, this is the first movie I've seen in a theater since the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm very happy that I did. Um, it's great. Uh, there was a fun moment in the theater where at the beginning, all of the logos were flipped and we were very worried that we'd have to watch this movie flipped. Um, but somehow they got it fixed before the first scene. So that was cool. Anyway, liked it. I did love it. Um, I think it's the kind of horror that I really go for and the kind of horror uh, that explains why I do horror. So I connected to it a lot. And yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were supposed to be flipped. Oh, yeah, was it? Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was intentional. I was like, confused. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that was intentional. Okay, thank you. Because I thought for a second we were going to have a bad yeah, time. Yeah. But no, it was it was good. um yeah i mean i i enjoyed this movie i mean it's it's re it's such it's a first time i watched it well first time i watched it once and i was like cool you get a solid eight and then i went back and i revisited like the original and i was like oh i like i like this movie i don't think i think the more i think about it the less i like it um I mean, it's 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 good. It's fun. It just it feels, and I, this is a very controversial statement. 
it feels like it is just taking advantage of what's happening in America in terms of like black people. And it doesn't feel like it's it. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. I just feel like it's it's taking advantage of of the black uh, diaspora currently happening in America slash always happening in America, rather than telling something different. And I think that that for that movie, this for that reason, this movie kind of like let me down a little bit. I mean, that would be perfect timing, though, right? Because this movie's been in production for a few years now. It was even delayed. It was even delayed, right? So. I think, so. I think, I mean, based on that statement, I think that uh, that was very much on purpose. And because like it, it, like you said, it's always happening and it's much more like in focus in the past couple of years. So I don't know, like it, it, it is, it is on purpose. It is on purpose. And I can tell by just the way it feels. And when I watch the original one and they're telling their stories of like the whole point was that, you know, in trauma, Mm -hmm. urban legends are born and i'm like okay this trauma just happens to be black people but then that's when the whole helen thing comes in and it's a whole different like it just it just i don't know it let me down it let me down i feel that like uh someone told me that jordan peele was this uh generation's m night Shyamalan, not to that horrible extent but um again this is not jordan peele's movie by the way yeah, yeah. the cost of he, movie. He, he wrote it. Let's yes. just let's just set the record straight. It's just that Jordan Peele used his name to kind of get this made and whatnot. But Nia DaCosta is the one that make that directed this film. So I'm not going to talk about Jordan Peele too much, but I do feel that you know he does he, he is of that same thing where he makes one film and it's way more successful than anyone thought it was it would ever be. And then he all the hype for the next film, and then the, the next film's kind of a letdown. And now everyone's kind of like. Where is he on this on this level? Now, keep in mind, I enjoyed Get Out and Us about the same. I didn't like Get Out as much as everyone else did, but I liked Us a lot more than everyone did. So for me, they're about on the same length. Um, I really wanted to like this movie. I really wanted to like it because I love the original. And I was let down very, very much. Um, mm-hmm. I felt that a lot of this movie was just biding its time. Um, and then it just tells you exactly what it wants to do. And, you know, and I feel like the, the mythology, the where, where they take the mythology is fine, but it does kind of undermine the nuances of the original. Um, and I don't really want to compare it to the original because there are elements of the original that I don't like either. But I felt overall, this is a far weaker film. Um, I, I don't see the hype, you know, where Marvel gave... Nia DaCosta, the Marvels based on this. Um, I think it's a beautifully shot film. I think it's, uh, I think she elevates it above the, the, the material because I think this by far, yeah, by far the weakest element. So I think her visual style is definitely um, elevating the film. Um, she does know how to do tension when tension happens. Um, but like I said, I just feel like this movie was a gigantic letdown. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I, I... <laughs> I I went to, into it uh, without any expectations. I just I just uh, I didn't know the story yet. I never watched the original. I saw that it got really good reviews, so I went into it, watched the film initially. I was a little lost because of all the references to the first one. Um, I didn't realize that the whole story that uh, the brother-in-law is telling 
is actually this the story of the first film yeah and so i i but sometimes i i it's not that i couldn't keep up but i felt that there was some information that i needed to know that i didn't <clears throat> i felt the the middle section of it the second act probably uh, was very repetitive it was just like okay somebody's going to say candyman five times they're going to get murdered then uh, some stuff's going to happen and then they just uh, after a while it's time for another murder so somebody's going to do it as a dare it happens like three four times in the middle of the movie for most of the time no reason uh that was a little uh not, not great and Ed, I think you mentioned that as well, that the biggest problem is that this movie is trying to be a metaphor and then at some point just sits down and tells you exactly what the metaphor is, just in case you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a major offender because it yeah. doesn't trust its audience. It, it just, it's not subtle at all at some point. It just does that and repeats it as well afterwards. Yeah, like I fully agree with what the movie's trying to say. And I fully like appreciate the idea that Candyman is a metaphor for generational trauma. Um, which it's that's touched upon in the first film. I think it does it a lot more elegantly, but I, I, I agree with everything that the film's trying to say. It's just one of those things where it's so preachy that anyone that would potentially could be converted by a more nuanced approach will be either turned off or just not care. And I think, you know, what the film is trying to say, it's as is, is preaching to the choir. And I don't think that's yeah. a very so good sign for a, a sign of a good film. So. Yeah, it dumps down. It's like the first one, for all of its flaws, had a lot of subtlety in, in how they talk about issues regarding like black culture and, and trauma and uh, what Candyman is and what he, why he stands for. Uh, and this one pretty much says, no one's going to understand what we're talking about. So let's just tell you right as it is. And I'm like, you've insulted my intelligence in the, in this film, right? Like, I think as an overall film, it's gorgeously shot. Don't get me wrong. Da Costa, like, it's a gorgeous movie. She did such a good job in in framing and 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 having those things. But I think altogether, it feels like I don't want to say is is there a term for black splaining? I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> well, that's like, <laughs> it's like, like I, if, <laughs> I don't want to bring up the original too much because we are. Well, yeah, I don't want to bring up the original but... either. But yeah. this one feels like it's blacksplaining. It feels it like it's trying to tell white people what black people are thinking in a creative way. And I'm just like, I mean. And this is the thing, like, because like the first film is the main, the main character is a white woman. And the idea for that one, again, it, uh, is like, she doesn't fully believe the urban legend. And she's writing a whole thesis on the idea that, you know, um, the urban legend isn't real. It's literally just a way for a coping mechanism for black people who have been through a lot, at least in Chicago, you know, they, at, at this time, Cabrini Green is like, a, it's like disgusting. Like it's completely, um, you know, dangerous. It's run down. It's, it's, it's completely abandoned. The, they even make a comment about how the, it's blocked off from the main city. Like it's just abandoned and that they, even her building that she lives in, which is in a very upper class neighborhood, is it's the same building design, you know. So there's a lot thing that a lot of it there. And the whole idea for me, at least for the original Candyman, was that she has to experience what Candyman went through. The idea of like you know um, black people, uh, how, the way that white people perceive black people, the way that they're afraid of them for crimes for whatever, like you know, just just that. And and so she has to experience that 
the reverse throughout the entire first film. So the point that it's trying to make is a lot more nuanced. Whereas here, it's like, no, it's hitting you over the head with it. So it's just the way that they do it in the first film is just much more elegant than the way they do it in this film. And I would argue different. that it's so. necessary. Like, I mean, so I, I do agree with what you guys are saying, and I still, still do need to watch the first film to get that. But I would argue that the way the film is presented, it's, I mean, there's a lot more nuance than you guys are giving it credit for, in my opinion. But at the same time, there are elements of it that are very much in your face that I think for the audience that it's that it has is necessary. I don't like, I think that, you know, being a um, regular moviegoer versus being somebody who, you know, who dissects films for a certain way. Like, I, I feel like as a regular moviegoer and as someone who like knows film and, you know, what are like kind of just has that experience of like kind of dissecting it. I think it kind of achieves something very strong on both accounts, but I, I'd have to like, we, we'll go into the plot in just a sec, but um, I kind of want to, I will mention a couple of things that I really like about this movie later down the line that I think even, yeah, I do agree that there are certain elements of the writing that might need some, like that needed some improvement, but I think other elements that you get to see that may at first seem kind of out of place, um, overall felt like it belonged to the larger like theme of the story. Um, and yeah, like we can, we can go into the plot first and then kind of like build off build yeah. from there. Yeah. Let's go into, let's go into the plot. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so the film opens up in the seventies um, with a young kid, basically um, walking through his neighborhood. And then he goes into this basement where there's this massive hole um, and he basically sees someone come out of it and it looks kind of like Candyman, and he gives him candy. So that's kind of like how the film opens. Then it fast forwards 30 years later, um, basically 30 years after the events of the first film. And we focus on uh, visual artist, Anthony McCoy. He lives in Chicago with his girlfriend, um, who's an art gallery director, uh, her name, Brianna. So one night, Brianna's brother Troy uh, comes over, introduces his boyfriend uh, to them, and they basically have a night of drinking, talking, whatnot. And he shares the urban legend of Helen Lyle, a graduate student who basically went on a killing spree in the early 1990s, which culminated into a bonfire outside the Cabrini Green housing project where she attempted to sacrifice a child. And then the residents were able to rescue the child before Helen perished in the fire and basically an act, um, basically just an act of what they thought was was the attempted murder of a child. Um, so let's let's stop there. Let's talk a little bit about that then. Yeah. So I I I like the opening for for this film. I think um, having it cut back to the seventies um, kind of does a better job in depicting like what the horrors were going to expect going on forward because like the second you see that kid in the ghetto you're like okay and you see the police in the background and the kid like drops a sock or whatever you're like oh well police uh violence and like i like the fact that it set it up like that um later in the film obviously it goes on further to explain how that plays out but um i think this opening like feel kind of set the mood for a movie that I didn't quite see was fulfilled as a promise. Like it just, it, it was a good start. Um, I like the idea of 
using a a story to tell the original story of the first Candyman because like that was one of my favorite movies uh, in general. So having it told through a different perspective, especially like I know friends who never saw the first one, two of you guys included. Um, so to hear your perspectives on how that was kind of like told definitely changes uh, in my mind because I'm hearing it. And I'm like, that's not the full story. So I liked, I liked that it, I liked that it was, it, it split the idea of having what really happened and what is spread as rumor, especially when that was the whole theme of the idea was how urban legends are, are cultivated. Well, I think that's what makes the, f- the first part of this movie so really interesting to me is that it starts in the 70s before the events of the original film. Um, so you get you get that sense of what Cabrini, Cabrini Green was like um, before it became completely run down. Like, you know, so it gives you that idea of, of you know, the, this more of a sense of community, but you also see all the cops and, you know, the, the, the fear that is among the people like they're scared to walk basically because they don't know if they're going to get like arrested um and i thought that was done really well and then when they move it forward um how they summarize the events of the first he's basically just summarizing the first film uh you know and 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 i thought it's really interesting to see how people who hadn't seen the first film coming into this fresh would perceive that but i think it's even better for for fan people who have seen the first film especially if you watched it recently before watching this one where exactly you have the reaction that leon had where it's like hold on that didn't happen like that and it's also interesting because like you 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 realize almost right away that anthony mccoy was actually the the baby yeah from the first film that was being sacrificed that was my problem yeah so that element where it's like again if you know if you're aware of those events you're like hold on that didn't happen that way now that's being kind of Told, fallen into an urban legend so now it makes you question the 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 original mythology and how much of that was kind of you know um you know basically the events kind of get twisted around or broken telephone happens you know and i thought that was really well done and i thought the, the way that this sets it up um you know especially that it takes place in cabrini green now which is completely gentrified and looks like basically anywhere else in the city also very so like what happened to all the people at where did they get displaced you know i thought that was really really well done and really well set up yeah and i love the shadow play like throughout the entire movie like the shadow play is one of the most visually stunning like um horror elements i've seen in a recent movie and i think like yeah a lot of the movie is carried by just how good it is visually and how good it is atmospherically and yeah like for all the issues of like the narrative that you guys are mentioning it's like the like this movie was would keep you hooked basically all throughout because of the atmosphere was done so well. And I think that it shines the most because there's still a lot of mystery in the first part of the movie, in the first part of the film. Yeah. I think the one thing that like, as much as the highlights for the beginning, the one thing that, that kind of, well, not upset me, but like ruined it for me was the fact that I'm a huge Candyman fan. And the second they were like, his name's Anthony. And I was just like, Oh no, you just, you just ruined, like if they had, if he had changed his, they, they could have done something simple, like changed his mm-hmm. birth name from his parents when they said you different hospital. They could have had that suspense or spoiler for me. Like, I think this movie wasn't made for people who are fans of Candyman, mm-hmm. right? Because he wouldn't have named him Candy, he wouldn't have named him Anthony. He would have changed his name. He said, oh, your original born name was Anthony. Or, you know, Anthony's his first name, but he goes by James. That's his middle name because of the trauma that happened in Caprini Green. Like there's so many things that, this opening scene did right and then 
just after they did it right, they they kind of fell back on a lot of uh, narrative problems that could have gained from more, um, I don't know, depth later on in the movie. It's, I think it's an interesting way to tell the story of the first film without, you know, showing images or flashbacks or stuff like that. And uh, to put it in a different context, I am, as for the twist itself, so I didn't know when I watched it, when I I saw, I saw the first Candyman after that. And I was very confused, like, oh, there's so much that they, if you know the original, like you said, the experience is very, very different when you watch that movie. So I I was asking myself that, and I'm glad that you answered that. but yeah, the beginning of the movie is pretty good. Uh, the 70s part is pretty cool. I was, I know, not knowing anything about Candyman, was very, very surprised that he was a black man. I thought he was a white man that killed black people <laughs> uh, going into it. So that was very interesting. And and I loved the opening credits, the, the upside down mm-hmm. reflection. That was very, very beautiful. Really cool. Uh, the cinematographer is John Gulisarian. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. So the look of the film, as we were talking about earlier, I think is a lot like to do. Of course, it has a lot to do with him. Um, and uh, yeah, the urban legend. I think at that point, I was I was kind of into the stories of it. It's yeah. only afterwards that that it gets a little. Cool. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah, so we'll move on uh, Move on to the next little bar here, part here. So basically, Anthony is, he needs a, he needs something. He's been like this promising artist, um, but he hasn't really had a creative piece for a while. And so he decides to look around the, 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 the neighborhood for some kind of inspiration. Uh, he, he, to make something more urban, more modern, whatever. Uh, so he meets William Burke, who basically is the laundromat owner. And he tells him the story of the Candyman, which flashes back to when Burke was a child who, and then you find out that Burke was the one uh, that wandered down into that basement to find uh, Sherman Fields, who was the man in the hole. Um, And he had a hook for a hand and whom the police believe was the one responsible for basically putting razor blades in candy that eventually ended up into uh, being fed to a white girl. And so Burke screams, and that alerts the police to go into that area. And then he sees Sherman, they find Sherman inside the walls and they beat him to death. Uh, and then as the legend continues that they thought that that was the end, but more children continue to receive candy with razor blades inside. Um, so Sherman was, I guess, posthumously exonerated from that. And then the legend implies that if somebody says Candyman five times in the mirror, Sherman's spirit will appear and kill the summoner. So Anthony develops an art exhibit based entirely on the Candyman's legend and then showcases it at Brianna's art gallery. Uh, It does not get a widely positive reaction from the audience. Um, However, uh, later that night, Brianna's coworker uh, who makes fun of Anthony and and, uh, he's very, very pretentious art guy, uh, him and his girlfriend are basically they 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 do the Candyman thing in front of the mirror. They 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 think it's a joke. They say Candyman five times, and lo and behold, Candyman shows up and kills them both. Um, I find it ironic of 
how the art gallery, or no, the art dealer, the woman who basically comes in to talk about Anthony's work, um, basically says everything that's wrong with this movie. It was almost like it was self-aware. And she's going on her rant and she's saying like, oh, well, you know, I like the idea that you're taking this black struggle and you're you're doing this, but honestly, it's played out in this generation and all the artists who are who are doing this are doing it in this thing. And I'm like, you're playing out the same thing in this movie. Like, she literally, there's a, literally a line and I, I wish I wish I, I wish it was on DVD that I could actually like tell you the exact phrase again because it was at 23 minutes because I looked at my watch and I was like, when was this? 23 minutes. She says that the way that artists are using the black struggle um, are disingenuous and it's played out. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you for pointing this out in this movie while I'm sitting this movie in 23 minutes in. I don't know if you're doing this on purpose or not, but that's the point where I was like semi-interested again. I'm like, oh, so you're self-aware. So I'm expecting, I guess, the unexpected now. And it, it and it it just it just doubled down on it. And I was mm-hmm. kind of sad. I I disagree, but only because like um on that note, I think what comes after is a little more interesting. Like I think um it kind of tells you a little bit more about why why this cr- critic feels like this this critic isn't entirely correct in this moment or at least not com- like she doesn't completely um explain like what the the phenomenon behind this i think so like i mean I, i'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit but i think this moment pairs with another moment right after that i think kind of gives you the entire picture of that statement versus what comes after and it's um i would say it's something about how certain store I mean so I think that she's read about Anthony because Anthony's kind of a douche but um, he's kind of he's kind of terrible but I I do get like I so I I do get that in his personality it does she's right about that but I think overall in terms of the story I find it really interesting that his yeah obviously again I'm jumping ahead but like I think it's interesting that his whole thing his whole gallery his whole story everyone's suddenly very interested in it after somebody dies in relation to it and I think that's kind of indicative of the real life in general which is that yeah like um these like these stories are suddenly very very convenient for you to look to even though they're always happy like they're, people always make them you know always make art always make stories and the reaction to them is really based on how recent a tragedy is. And with, in, in terms of like this movie, I think this movie will like, will resonate with you or not depending on the zeitgeist. And it's interesting how these like, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna bring up a, a real life example, which is that, which is something that was brought up on Twitter and like on social media quite often, which is that every single time there is a big tragedy or a big horrible crime against specifically black people, suddenly every single studio is asking for black artists, suddenly asking for black writers, et cetera, et cetera. So even though Anthony specifically as a character is disingenuous, I think in general, it is a phenomenon that happens that no matter what, a black artist, a black creator will create something. And only when it is convenient in the zeitgeist are they suddenly praised for something that previously is looked down on? 
Oh I, yeah, you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent right in saying that. In my mm-hmm. mind, in terms of like the the plot and the way the movie plays out, mm-hmm. um, like for me, because I'm a big fan of the original, the way that he has like the cabinet in the mirror, and he's like, "Oh, I opened it up," and they had like the room with all those paintings behind it, right? Mm-hmm. So in in the original Caprina Green, that's the whole. That's that's like the cabinets where Helen first goes in to find Candyman's paintings inside of the thing. So I'm like, the the writing basically made a nod to how the original understood the purpose of how that art is being set up. Like the art in the original obviously is a movie and the art in Anthony's case is his literal paintings. Um, and, and it's the film in terms of the writing was self-aware that they use the art in the film form in the metaphorical for the first film. And they use his art paintings in this one and, and they understand what they're talking about and they have those words. It's just like, you're right in terms of a real world example, but in a film and, and dialogue place, it seems like it was, it was disingenuous to mention it in that, way, in that way while understanding that you are making a film. Like it was, it was understanding that you're meta and making a conversation about it. And I'm like, come on, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. If, if I may, mm-hmm. it's, to summarize what you're saying, because I agree with you, is that the words of the critic within the context of the story are wrong. Like what she's saying is wrong. She doesn't understand the world she lives in. Yes. But her words work very well or sound very true when you're assessing the movie itself as a piece yes. of art. Mm-hmm. Another, another uh, line from uh, Brianna, I think earlier in the movie was when she's saying like, uh, crit- criticizing Anthony's artwork the first time she sees it, and she says that um, okay, you wouldn't, you're not doing, I think, commentary. You're not doing commentary. You're this is just straight up depiction, mm. which is also criticism that you can apply to the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Show and not tell. Mm-hmm. This movie, this movie will tell you everything that needs to be told and why it needs to happen and blah 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, and don't, don't tell me. Well, that's another thing that I an issue that I had with, especially with the way that this sets up, is because it has all the art piece and and, and you understand the significance of the symbolism behind the art, but it doesn't really explore that too much. Like, it doesn't really go into the idea of how art profits off tragedy or how artists can profit off tragedy. It doesn't really go too much into that. It basically just like you said, they have a few people talking and saying the things that that the movie indirectly falls victim to, I guess you could say. Um, and that's kind of where, to me, a lot of the time that this movie was spending on, on, on this particular aspect of it felt very wasted. I mm-hmm. did really like um, how they presented Candyman here where, you know, because in the original film, she... Bla- uh, Helen will black out and she'll wake up and something horrible will have happened. And you don't really know if she's actually crazy or if Candyman did it. Whereas here, they very much show that it's Candyman, but it's interesting the way they do it where like the mirrors, like you see him in the mirror or in the window reflection, but you never see him physically like in the space. And I thought that was done really well, um, at least for the, for the kill part, the horror mm-hmm. portion of, uh, of the film. Um, okay. So, while Anthony was taking pictures in Cabrini Green, he does get stung by a bee. And this, as the film continues, uh, starts to f- completely transform him physically. 
Um, and it all stems from that bee sting. And basically it's now a huge scab and it starts spreading across his entire body. Um, he does go to the hospital um, and it's here that he learns that his mother, Anne Marie, lied about where he was born. And so then he goes and confronts her. And we see that the mother is Vanessa Williams, the same actress who played her in, um, played Anne Marie in the original film. And when he confronts her, she basically reveals that he was in fact the baby that Helen rescued from the fire the night she died. And even though Helen saved him from the first Candyman, uh, which was whose name was Daniel Robitaille, Robitaille, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, who abducted him and planned to sacrifice him in the fire. Anne-Marie never told him about it because she wanted Anthony to have a normal life and didn't want him to think about any of this. Uh, And the community itself had vowed never to repeat the the legend after that night. But she does fear that what will happen now is that someone has in fact broken the pact and spoken about the Candyman legend. Um, side note, there at the at the um, the art gallery, there was a teenage girl that got very interested in the Candyman myth. And then she decides to go with her five friends at high school to say the Candyman myth, uh, to say Candyman in the mirror five times and they all got brutally slaughtered something we missed i think in that part was that anthony was already connecting like he was starting to lose it like he was starting to draw all these faces while his like his scar his beasting was getting worse he was going basically having a mental psychological breakdown as he started to depict these faces that he didn't know in a way that's very like visceral and visually kind of uh, disturbing and then he finds out that he's got this, yes. this connection to this place and that basically disturb like gets his girlfriend worried about him she thinks that he's going crazy and also um they are they get into tensions with themselves and even the brother gets involved and basically says that she needs to either leave him or you know so, get, get, get away from him as far as she two can. of them being very yeah. sensible people yeah. in this oh, yeah. film oh, yeah. <laughs> well here's the thing a um the police the police are garbage in this entire film. Uh, and I guess B or two, whichever I said first, um, like the idea that, you know, he's turning into Candyman or going through this whole motivational thing. 90% of this act could be taken out of the movie. And I think they yeah. literally just put it in there because they need to have it. Like having the whole like high school girls go up and get murdered in this thing. And I'm like, there's no need for that in this entire film. There's like, don't get me wrong. Watching Candyman murder a bunch of people is great. That's what I came to see a horror movie for. But in terms of the story and the plotting, there is no need for that scene to be there. Yeah. Right? Because like, A, I don't even know this girl's name when she's like, oh, look at this picture. She wanders off. Her friends get murdered. And they're like, hey, that guy did it. I'm like, dude, you have a witness in the washroom. You have the other girl who ran away from the washroom. And not one of you cops could have been like, uh who got into this washroom and how like that's the thing at least when they've done um, Candyman in the past and the character has blacked out or passed out and woke up and there was blood i think the audience audience knowledge audience not knowing what happened and like wait a minute did did this person sneak in at this time and murder this person did this happen we don't know but to actively see it in the film and depict it in a certain way was just like oh well there goes any sort of like mystery it's almost like seeing an alien monster an alien movie like halfway through and be like oh well i I guess that's what you look like i guess like you know you're gonna have the build-up for that and there was no build-up for that i mean i was surprised that 
he was not wanted from the get-go, especially after yeah. killing the critic, because um, the moment he, he went there, he was the last person to have seen that critic. Also, the two murders that happened before in similar ways was uh, a couple with whom he had an altercation at the, publicly at the gallery. So after that, he would have been a murdered man. Uh, oh, sorry, a wanted man by the police. They would have been searching for him, probably an arrest warrant for him. And then when that thing happened in the bathroom, it would make sense for them to assume it was him, especially if the witnesses are saying that uh, the Candyman did, yeah, Candy did it. So mm -hmm. yeah. we would probably assume like, oh, these guys are hysterical. Yeah. The black man did it. We're going to chase him probably. And that mm -hmm. would have added maybe an element if he was being hunted by the police. But that never really comes up until the very, very end of the film. And yeah. even then, that please shoot him like, because of the circumstance he's in not even mm -hmm. like because i'm watching this i'm like yo if, if the girl who's like in the washroom and saw the reflection and saw a black dude in that washroom and then she booked it and then she went to the police and said hey like i'm a witness he, you know all of his and they actually mentioned it in the film they're like hey by the way like you know they're all connected to his paintings they're all connected to his writings you know this girl was there you know when they looked in the mirror they saw a, a black dude that fit the the description of the guy in the washroom and she escaped like this if this movie literally just Is said it? okay i mean so so i just want to i just want to bring something up because i mean so for the critic i thought that was also the most sensible time he would be you know he would be the prime suspect but apparently no she told nobody that he was meeting with her and also her husband was the prime suspect, which I didn't, you know, he, which who, her husband who never appears, but is apparently the prime suspect. So that's one. So I, I guess that's, you know, it's, it's, it's contrived, but it's believable. And then on the other it's hand, the condo, there are cameras. Yeah. People but, going in and out. Yeah. But that's like that, but that was what you hear, like basically as the explanation as to why he's not being chased at that moment. And then you have the first one, the first kill in the gallery. Yes. I think that, after the fact, it would have been like, oh, it was obvious the whole time. But I think like at that time, there would have been no reason yet to suspect him until more yeah. stuff starts happening. So, I mean, yeah. it's it. But yeah, it is weird that they don't take advantage of the fact that he could be connected to most of them. Right. Um, I do find that very odd. Um, I, I do. I like. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the more we talk about it, I think the movie itself, like the. I like the meta of the movie, and obviously because I haven't watched the first one. So it's like, again, I cannot compare it to how the nuance or whatever, but I like the meta of the movie. And I think that a lot of the visual elements and a lot of the, um, all, like a lot of the plot serves the meta more than the plot. And I understand the frustration with it, but I think it still works. I think it still works thematically because the killings, the deaths, apart from the first one, they feel more like a statement of something else rather than just, oh, Candyman is killing all these people. That feels more like, um, how do I describe it? It feels, so I have to, I have to give a little bit of context to this because I, I think that one of the messages of the film, or at least one of the things that they mention in the film is that urban legends are a way for people to kind of deal with violence, gener et cetera, et cetera. But I also think that the Candyman murders are as yeah. much a depiction of the general violence that is happening as opposed to just, you know what I mean? Like, so 
it's a lot of very random seeming violence. It's a lot of very horrible violence happening to children of all backgrounds happening to this, these, these adults of backgrounds. And I think it's just like, from, I guess it's, I guess I'm bringing a lot to the movie that's, you know, that other people might not be bringing there, but from personal experience, the strength of a urban legend or even a legend or a monster story or anything like that is, is based on a situation in which you are surrounded by seemingly random violence. And I think that's what this movie felt like to me. Like in those moments, it felt like what they were trying to depict is not a linear story about Candyman killing people for a reason. It's more like Candyman being present seems to coincide on a metatextual level with a lot of seemingly random and horrible violence. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And now on that note, that does mean that there's an issue with the plot. I do agree with that. I do agree that the, in, in that way, the kills don't feel related to the story, but it feels almost symmetrical in that way for me. Like it, the way that every, you know, they tell you a lot, but there's also a lot they don't tell you. Like the fact that what they have said about urban legends is matching this moment of sudden and horrible and very quick series of violent moments. And it obviously like there is an issue with how it was told, but I felt like that message was put forward, especially when you watch the end credits where they don't say anything and you watch that whole shadow play of the end credits. I feel like that's kind of what the movie was. I do agree that there are plot issues and I do agree that on, especially when we get near to the end, that there are certain elements that could have been given less time and certain elements give, could have given, been given more time, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this movie satisfied me thematically because everything that happened visually and like in, on screen felt like it had a purpose, even if some balance changes could have been made in the storytelling. You're a hundred percent right. And, and I think, for that reason is why I'm not a big fan of this movie, right? Because the entire argument that you just posed was literally the entire purpose of the first movie. They literally said this, per- this, this white lady who sees all of the random violence happening wants to understand why this violence is happening. And the entire plot is basically, I need to, I need to find order to the randomness and, and that's what leads to the urban legend. And then this one does the exact mirror of that. And I'm watching it and I'm like, it, the violence feels random, but Candyman is not meant to be random, especially when the meta of this movie is meant to be Black people's struggle, right? Because then you have to basically now say, is Black people's struggle in American like art and American film and American culture random? This movie is not made for Black people. I'll say it. The Costa, you made this movie for you. The Costa, you're a great director, <laughs> but you 100% made this movie for white people. <laughs> like, like hands yeah. down. All right. Okay. So um, I'm going to continue. Uh, so Anthony basically leaves his mom's house and wanders through Cabrini Green. Brianna is understandably extremely worried about Anthony and she tries to go and find him. So she starts looking um, all over Cabrini Green to find him. She does go to the laundromat 
because she knows that uh, um, Anthony was talking to the owner of the laundromat. Uh, and when she's there, she is actually at- attacked and captured by Burke, who takes her to an abandoned church where Anthony is that he has Anthony basically in a fugue state tied to a chair and he's waiting for her there. So basically Burke reveals that he obviously wasn't, not only was the witness to Sherman's death, but he's also seen Sherman's spirit return as the Candyman and witness him murdering basically his older sister, her friend who summoned him initially and just a whole bunch of people. He also reveals that basically the way that the the Candyman legend is now is that it wasn't just Daniel Robitaille. It was a whole bunch of different people throughout his, uh, throughout history since the initial urban legend of the Candyman um, that have kind of taken this mantle or have been uh, turned into the mantle to keep the legend alive. Uh, in this case, Burke plans to have the police shoot Anthony dead, um, mainly not to change the actual legend itself from a symbol of black pain, uh, black suffering to an instrument of revenge or vengeance. And to complete Anthony's transformation into the Candyman, Burke saws off his right hand and replaces it with a hook. Brianna manages to, to escape the church and ensues a chase through Cabrini Green um, by Burke. She is able to overcome it by viciously stabbing him to death. Anthony does appear and collapses into her arms as the police arrive, um, but they end up shooting Anthony dead. Brianna is arrested and handcuffed. An officer basically throws her into the car, one of the cars and attempts to intimidate her into agreeing that Anthony provoked the police into shooting him. Brianna notices the police car's rearview mirror, asks the police to turn it towards her. She says Candyman five times. Anthony appears and kills all the police. As more police arrive at the scene, Anthony takes on the appearance of Daniel Robitaille and instructs Brianna to tell everyone. And the film ends. Mm-hmm. Okay, when that happened at the end, I was like, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I was like, no, 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 I love it because I'm like, oh, cool. It's it's Candyman. It's also, the yeah. age Tony there's Todd. No point. I'm like, there's no point. If you don't, if you don't know, if you don't watch the first one, you're you're the exact same thing, Bill. You're like, who the fuck's this dude? Who is it? Do they accidentally put in the wrong actor or something? <laughs> Which one is this? It doesn't look like any of the other guys that showed up in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I had the opposite. That- I had the opposite reaction to you to a deal which was like where's tony todd well who's this guy who's this actor i don't know it and then finally when he appears at the end and he's completely cgi de-aged and whatnot i'm like there he is there he is oh man so this was okay and i i've seen a lot of horror movies in my day i like horror movies this has to be the dumbest last act of i've seen in like a, a, a handful of movies like i get what they were trying to do but the execution was just like come on man come on the cops show up and they shoot him. They're like, oh, here's here's a false claim of what's happening. And then you have this laundromat guy being like, it's a spirit of vengeance now. And I'm like, dude, what? Come on. Like the whole the whole last act was just like, what? You're just grasping at straws, man. You're grasping at straws. And I was like, come on. Like you just want everything to like fit into this neat little package. And now Candyman's a spirit of vengeance. What? And it, so... And I, I, I really, I really should stop. And I hate bringing up the original one, but in the same kind of ending, 
where she looks in the mirror and she's like, Candyman, 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 Candyman. And he comes up and starts killing people. At least in the original one where the dude looks in the mirror, he's like, Helen? Helen? Like, he doesn't say Candyman because Candyman is the symbolism of whoever is murdering these people. It's not... Candyman is a, is a title, not a person. And the fact that this movie seemed to forget that at the end of the film, I'm like, look, I get it. Candyman is this person who's coming around killing people, doing his thing. But he's not... It, it, he's not a, a, a person. He's, he's, a, he's a title. Anthony's taken on the title of Candyman. And she wouldn't be asking Candyman for help. She'd be asking Anthony for help because she just saw what the hell happened to Anthony. And it just, the whole film, the whole ending is just like, this just unravels. I'm just, I'm about to, at that point yeah. I was tired. I was like, this is, I'm done with this. I'm done with this foolish movie. <laughs> I think I think I was on the fence for most of the movie. Just kind of, there was things I liked, things I didn't like. I think it was this ending that kind of put me over the edge where I was like, yeah, I can't get behind this film. It reminded me, does anyone remember Texas Chainsaw 3D? It was supposedly, yeah, it no. was Alexandra Daddario, uh, like the she was the main actress, and it was supposed to be the direct sequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that negated all the other Texas Chainsaw Massacres. They tried to do this exact same thing where they made Leatherface a product of an evil society, which is not wrong, but basically, then all of a sudden, the cops become the bad guy or the rednecks become the bad guy, and then they had a whole thing where, um, Alexandra Daddario's character had a relation, had a relationship with Leatherface and she basically says go get him Leatherface and he kills all the all the the evil people and you're cheering and you're like yeah Leatherface and I'm like that's not the point of mm-hmm. this character like and and I felt the exact same thing with this film and, and it's not that you know that that there's they're bound to rules like it's a film they can do whatever they want they can change the, the mythology in any way that they want it is it's their story they can do whatever they want the problem is is that They've taken all the, the whole essence of what this character was that they set up and basically said, nah, nah, please the bad ones. And I, and I agree with that. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but the way they bring it up in this film is so ham-fisted and heavy-handed and it's so laughably cheesy and silly that by the end of it, I'm just like, all goodwill, I'm done. Um, yeah, they set up in this movie too. It's not like they set, up, set it up in the first one yeah. and then they have to respect that it, it was set well, up that's what i mean video. yeah they set it up in this right. yeah, yeah yeah if the police were the bad ones and that was the ending you wanted to choose then why weren't the cops present through 98 yeah. percent yeah. of this film right mm-hmm. because if you're going to end up being like oh the police framed him for the ending i would have had the police investigating him i would have had you know are there good detectives are there bad detectives i would have had him in chains i would have had him say Candyman in like the holding cell and then you know a bunch of police get murdered in the thing and he escapes and they're like well clear this like i would have set it up as 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 a the police being a gray area while they are investigating him some police are like clearly he's killing people some police are like maybe maybe not and then at the end when all this goes down and you have his girlfriend being like i now know the truth of what happens i understand the whole Candyman legend and then a police officer shows up and shoots him then that would have been a more powerful and then and then they try to be like look we saw some ghosts we saw some crazy shit we can't explain that to our captain so we're gonna put it all on your boy anthony and then she calls Candyman, and then anthony murders him fine because that would have made sense to me. But the last act of this movie was just like, how are you going to blame it on the police? 
if that's just using what's happening in the real world and trying to be like, hey, white people, see, police are bad, poke, like, like, come on, no. I, I want, I, mm-hmm. Narratively, like meta, 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 it makes sense. In, the, in, in looking at a film and what's happening in the real world, sure. Narratively in the film, it drops the ball 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with the narrative part. I actually really like, I mean, so I do think that the ending narratively is kind of like very rushed. Like it, it kind of like all happens all at once. And I think that has an issue with that. I like that ending because it kind of, again, it's all like meta stuff. It's all metatextual. It's all like whatever is being brought, but it's also like relevant to the moment. What I like about that one is how Brianna um, was kind of, okay, so there's one part that I wanted to see more of, and that was Brianna's backstory, because we understand that she saw her father have the psychotic break, and now she's seeing her artist boyfriend have the psychotic break, and she has seen essentially um, horrible violence in her life, and she has been traumatized by it. And I think that mixed with the last scene in which when they kill him, it is very, very clearly set up in a way where what she sees is a shadow, like the shadow play, which brings you, which reminds you that this has happened before and it happens again and it keeps happening. So it's a cycle, right? And the shadow play is basically like you're, you're in the same shadow play and it doesn't matter who, you don't see the faces, you know, it's always the same thing. It's just that it's the shadows of every single one of these moments happening over and over again. And I think what I liked about this ending thematically is how Brianna reacts to it, which is that, yeah, like, even though text, uh, even though in the narrative, Candyman becoming a spirit of vengeance is kind of like, eh, did you say that? It, you kind of did, but you didn't. You know, it's like it, there is like um, a drop ball in terms of making that clearer. But I liked it in terms of how it served Brianna's story and how it relates to Sherman's story. But, uh, not Sherman. Um, the Who's the guy from the laundromat? Um, oh, what's his name? Burke. Burke before her, which is that in the observance of a horrific act of violence, um, many people in that situation would, uh, w- would turn to violence. So I think like that's, and again, I'm bringing a lot of my own experiences to the story because that's how I feel personally. And that's how I feel personally now, because in my life, in my recent life, I have been subject to observing a lot of horrific violence. And my mindset is that in a similar way, if I had the method in order to enact that violence against those who have enacted that violence on the people I observed, I would do it. I think that that is how the story kind of ends with her is that, yeah, like instead of like, not in the exact way that rules are being followed, but in that she is happy to see this violence that she has been forced to look upon in her early life. And now again, when she thought that things were getting better, she is now forcing it on others. My final thoughts on this film is I'm, I'm like 80% with you on that one, Mots, because when it, when it boils down to it and you have, you know, uh, Tiana Paris or Brianna's character have to deal with like oh i had this trauma in my life and my father died and my father's a a a disturbed artist and then at the end be like oh i want vengeance on white people cops uh art directors i don't know like what like her 
she had she had a backstory that wasn't brought to the full life of this film and mm-hmm. it almost feels like when you take her as an example that this entire film feels fragmented it feels like you have you know how does trauma as a whole affect a person and what then what does that lead to them and does it affect them creatively in the art world or whatever and you have another person how who had trauma but didn't remember it because it Anthony as a baby and however his mother did with it and did that shape him or how does the art world how does creative this movie as much as it is about black people and black struggle especially in gentrified neighborhoods um it's it's telling it to people who don't understand what that means and it sucks because if they had gone and used Brianna Cartwright's like the, the character's backstory as as a device of saying hey mm-hmm. the, the her father was a traumatized artist because of what happened in caprini green or what happened because of of his own uh, his relationship with the police even if it was like he was a traumatized artist because a police officer break his hand broke his hand and he couldn't paint anymore and that's why he chased the piece i don't know do something creative this mm-hmm. movie just just ham fists and and I, I get that when you get a something that is meaningful attached to any part of any story, regardless if the story doesn't work or not, like you relate to it. Like, yeah, I'm a black dude. I've been pulled over by the cops uh, 15 times or so. I've had guns pointed at me, at least three that I remember. Um, cops have been like, hey, you, gun pulls on me. I'm like, sure, man, whatever. Like, so I get it, the fact that me relating to walking down the street and having a cop just be like, well, let's just pop this dude full of, of lead. Like, what deal did you want I, I understand or? where they're coming from, but also for the way that they're telling the story, it doesn't work. And it's just, it, it relies way too much on its the time that it's being released and why it's being released and it doesn't have its own merits. Yeah, sure. Uh, my final thoughts then. Um, I think this movie is competently directed, for sure. Uh, cinematography Facts. is very, very good. Uh, the problem is the story is, is the narrative. Uh, the ending, um, the whole thing with Burke telling his story, his plan and everything, I think is an interesting thing. The problem is that this is not what the movie is about for 90% of its runtime. Mm. The the ending with the cops, even though I don't condone that kind of violence in real life, in a movie was very cathartic to watch, given everything that happened just before, given everything that happened throughout the last year in real life. To see, to see it on screen like that did feel cathartic to me. Um, that said, uh, there's much to say, right? It, it's just that the movie had great ideas, great themes, and everything. It just failed on the narrative and mm-hmm. maybe on the, on the main character as well because he wasn't very likable or relatable. So it was hard to really care for him at the end so much mm-hmm. uh, when he was about to die. And you could see that coming the moment you heard the police coming that he was going to get shot because, of course didn't feel so bad about him felt bad for brianna Mm -hmm. because she's very likable throughout the film but in 
it, it, the movie has all these flaws that bring it down. It, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a little unfortunate, I guess. It's uh, I think with a couple of rewrites, it could have been a bit, much better movie. Mm-hmm. I want to add um, just what you said and what Leon said is that when you mentioned that Brianna was a much more likable character, it felt like she was the other protagonist, which is why you know, we all agree. I mean, we, we all basically agree that if she had been given more time or at least her backstory had been given more time in that way, it would have been a better movie. So like from a narrative perspective, I think, no, I mean, protagonist in that she seemed to be the one whose perspective started to matter more as time went on. You know what I mean? Like when, when he started losing it, it was like, it's almost like the shift was that we are now paying attention to how she is reacting to the moment. And she is the one. And once he loses basically his entire mind or like most of his mind in that, like, and he's like been taken over by this trypophobia nightmare um, on half of his face, Brianna is suddenly the main character, which, yeah, it is unfortunate that we don't get to have that focus and building of her prior to that. So I get what you guys mean about that as well um yeah so like it, 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 yeah I, I do agree it needs more improved like if it could have had a couple more rewrites and I don't know about if the it felt like one of those things where a scene was missing like in shooting or something I don't know if there's a limitation on that but I do think that a scene or two either added or mixed around in a certain way could have really elevated this I don't know yeah I mean like and uh, it, it's it's not bad. Uh, did you give your final thoughts? I think you did. I haven't, yeah. no. Well, like, Candyman is an int- such an interesting, you know, horror movie, the, the original, because there's just elements of it that are just so thought-provoking and so interesting. Um, and it's just such a different villain. It's just, it's just such a different villain than what we've had um, even today. It's still such an original piece of work. And it's not perfect. There, there, I, have, I have issues with it, but, you know, I just... I, I, I find that film very like in high regard and just like all horror sequels or horror franchises, you know, the sequels that have come up since then haven't really done that film justice. I was really hoping that this film would, it has all the, the right ingredients, like, you know, going into it, it has the right intentions and all that. And that's why I was, I was really excited for this. I was really excited to watch this movie. Um, and, you know, when I say something like Jordan Peele is like this generation's M. Night Shyamalan, the only thing that I really mean by that is that the guy's got ideas. He's got ideas, but his execution of ideas are either too on the nose or rep- repetitive, and they ultimately, a lot of hype, no payoff. My opinion, you know, that is what it is. Nia DaCosta definitely elevates this film. She's a lot She's a very strong, capable director. So I probably will negate what I said. I can see why Marvel picked her to see, <laughs> yeah. to direct the Marvel. I can't wait to see more from her. Yeah, because I can, I can see like the visual style is there. The pa- the understanding of pacing is there, you know, all of that. And if she's trying to direct her way around a bad script, you know, it, it happens. I think she did a great job, but I do think the script is pretty bad. I think that this movie skirts over so many more interesting issues you know, it barely touches upon the ideas like, you know, of like black capitalism, black elites, but it's like, it's all there. It it's touches, almost, yeah, it's yeah. almost there, but it just doesn't go far enough. And it kind of falls back on stuff that we've already seen before. And in doing that, it undermines itself. It undermines the mythos it's trying to set up. Mm. And it 
basically all culminates into an ending. I personally did not find it cathartic. I found it very cheesy and silly and it was unfortunate. Um, I have to give it a five out of 10. I can't give it any higher than that. So that's just my final thought. I co-signed that. Oh man, this movie. What, what about the uh, um, box office and re- um, response and things? Well, in that respect, very different opinion than ours. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it's probably more aligned on on where you are, Matsi. Uh, at least critic wise, yes, it is an eighty five. It has an eighty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Certified fresh, over two hundred eighty nine reviews. Made for white uh, people. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, um, on IMDb, the audience reaction isn't as favorable. It has a 6.4 out of 10 based off 12,000 reviews. Um, the highest rating is a seven. A six is not too far behind. Surprisingly, a lot of ones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just review bombing, but one is definitely one of the higher scores that uh, user scores that it has. Box office wise, it's done very well for itself. Um, it opened up with 22 million uh dollars which i remember them saying that was far exceeded expectations so far to date it's made 41 million domestically and worldwide 52 million 207,820 bucks so not bad for a not little bad movie. at all Definitely made back its money so mm-hmm. so good on them um hopefully we'll see another candy man and hopefully it'll be a lot better yeah Probably. i think it makes sense like rotten tomatoes versus imdb like everyone was like, it's good, but it's only as good as like six something. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. a majority of people are in the uh, six something range, which is above five, which is still good yeah. or fresh. Man, so, if this movie was that. about like the trauma between black excellence and black struggle, uh, first of all, Jordan Peele ironically shooting himself in the foot. But I mean, that would have been that would have been a mean story if it was about mm-hmm. rich white black people versus poor black people. And you have gingification. Whoa! I do think this this movie had a lot like wanted to say more than it than it did, and it it achieved. So it was like they touched on that, but didn't really go forward to that. Like I did notice that as well at the beginning of the movie, where they were like they were kind of starting with that, and suddenly it it kind of just went away. So yeah, I I get I get the frustration. They ordered a buffet and they only took one bite. And with Mm. that, (laughs) I do think that what like what it was able to say was good, but it's not complete. So. Yeah, no, that's about I, I agree. I like I said, I agree with everything they wanted to say. There's yeah. nothing here that isn't true. It's just the present presentation. Presentation, of it. execution. Oh, Apart from the fact that Nia yeah. DaCosta does a beautiful visual style, I do. I just wanted to mention one scene before we go, which is I don't know if I'm imagining it, and I don't know what your interpretation would be. Is uh, that moment where uh, he, where sh- where Anthony and Brianna were talking, and Anthony was saying some shit. And Brianna was being like a lot more, um, uh, in, like a lot more reasonable than him. And right in the background, there's a very obvious uh, uh, minstrel face. And I was just having mm-hmm. a moment where I was just looking at it like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, then she had a, and then she had a meeting with a bunch of white people about how valuable black art is. Like, I'm telling you, they ordered Korean barbecue and they only took one bite and it was all, <laughs> it was sitting there. Everything was all like looking beautiful. Yeah, it's there. Like, I mean, I think oh. visually it was there. I think like Nia DaCosta are like, you no, know, the, the production designers were, were telling the story more than the narrative. And I think like, that's why I love when production design tells a story in that way. Um, yeah, so. Mm. Anyways, much guys. Uh, well, thank much, you, my much friends. Guys. Uh, much, much love. <laughs> much love, guys. Much guys. Uh, thank you for listening to our rant. Happy Halloween um, soon. Which, 
which started yeah. as very positive and just turned to me ranting about how much I don't I like mean, it. yeah, it's one of I those mean, things, the, the more you think about it, the more you can kind of pick out the flaws, but the same, I still like it. I still like this movie. I think people should watch it. I I mean, people have watched it, so I don't have to like super encourage people. I'm, I'm pretty happy about that, but yeah. you know, it is what it Anyways, is. Anyways, uh, much love to all my friends in podcast land. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Plot Mechanics. Woo. Thank, yeah. you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. Uh, enjoy good movies. Enjoy us some more. And follow us on all the social medias and all the things. Anyways, love you. Uh, Peace. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed that. If you would like to delve deeper into the world of plot mechanics, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We look forward to you joining us again next week. Until then... Keep watching great movies. Take care.